So this morning's message title, if you are taking notes, you can write down, how could she have known? The question is, how could she have known? That is this morning's message. So I know that God continues to use you and I as a mercy call to this generation. With the window that we have been given. And the question this morning is, is how can he continue to use you and me in this generation? And this is a question that every individual must take the time and attempt to answer on their own, by themselves, with the Lord. Can God use me in this generation? So I hope that after this morning's message that you can maybe cry out or be able to say, Yes, Lord, use me in my weakness to glorify your name once again in this generation. So if you want to, you can turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is often considered the chapter of faith, we know. It talks about a bunch of different people. It speaks of those who were greatly used by God. So Hebrews 11, 33 and 34 says this, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and listen to this, out of weakness were made strong. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens." And it goes on, if you look at the next verse in Hebrews eleven thirty five, 35, it says, Women received their dead raised to life again. Women. So the question this morning is, how could she have known? How could she have possibly known? So this is referring to a specific power, obviously, that women have. Throughout the course of history, God had kind of put into the hands of women to raise lineages and to raise dead things back to life. So even though the writer of Hebrews doesn't really elaborate with specific examples, you can kind of go back to the Old Testament and check this out. So if you can now turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Now it came to pass in the days that when judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion. So to break this down, the name Elimelech means kingly. It means mighty, signifying that he most likely had some type of close relationship with the Lord, with God. So this inheritance was given to him, a a heritage knowing about the things of God. Like some of you who are Christians raising your children in the things of God. It's a pretty amazing inheritance to give that to your children. So we see that Elimelech led his family, however, into the land of Moab. So if we look at this a little bit more closely, the Moabites were the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. We talked a little bit about this, but we didn't go deeply into it because eventually they had escaped from Sodom and Gomorrah and and Lot ended up having an incestuous relationship with one of his daughters. You can read that. 
So this was kind of how Moab, because of that, this is how Moab was birthed out of that. A place of, we can call it spiritual mixture. So Elimelech must have been aware of this history, knowing this. And, and knowing that Moab was not the place of blessing that God had promised through Abraham to his people. But he proceeded to lead his family there during this, this season of famine. When it was talking about there was a famine in the land. And he's, he's a type of those at the time. He's kind of a type of those who claim to love God. Well, I love the Lord. They claim, he claims to love God but who are still living in some type of spiritual mixture kind of half following God and half being led by your own senses, your own reasoning, your own intellect. So as they kind of went out from Bethlehem, maybe Elimelech and his wife Naomi anticipated this as they looked into their own future as some of us do. We kind of anticipate prosperity. We anticipate good things. So maybe they were kind of looking into their, their future thinking that it was going to be wonderful and prosperous that, that would await them. And little did Naomi know that she would end up suffering the loss of everything, including her husband. So while living in the land of Moab, Naomi received kind of a word that this famine in Bethlehem was over. So with no other hope, she had no other hope, she started to go back. And I don't want you to miss this here. She didn't have any hope left. So she had no hope left. And the Bible actually tells us that she and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, also now a widow at the time, arose and headed back to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem actually means, and a lot of you know this, maybe the Bethlehem walk people, it actually means house of bread is what Bethlehem means. So Bethlehem was where God, if you think about the history of this, if you think about the foreshadowing of this, this place called Bethlehem, it represents this, this coming back to the simplicity of Christ. So Bethlehem was where God chose His Son to be born. Bethlehem was this where, where wise men were kind of journeying, where shepherds were out in a field, and the, the angels appeared to them. They had this open heaven, so to speak. So there was a vision of angels rejoicing and telling them why, where they might find this great provision of God. A way in a manger. The way in a manger. For this sin-sick and confused world. So this coming back to Bethlehem represents coming back like the Bible reminds us not to forsake the simplicity that's in Christ. The mercy of God. His supernatural provision. It's a place where we finally leave our own ideas behind. Our plans behind for a future that we think we know best about. So Naomi once went out full of what she had thought was this faith. This belief. She had expectation. And it was now replaced with a, this deep sense of loss. Have you been there? This deep sense of disappointment. Have you been there? She had suffered not only the death of her husband, but also her two sons. So she was in this position 
where her complete lineage was dead. It was the death of her entire lineage. This was a pretty important lineage. In a sense, she kind of blamed God for all this. Have you ever blamed God for loss, for disappointment, for things not turning out the way that we had hoped? So she was really blaming God for all of this, coming home, saying, listen to what she says in Ruth 1, verse 20 and 21. She says this. She's losing it. She says, call me not Naomi. Because Naomi means pleasant and agreeable. That's not me now. Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. She's blaming God. She says this. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye be Naomi, seeing that the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. She's in a different place now. She's lost her lineage now. So it would kind of be like you and I today in the pews saying, you know, I, I'm still going to go to church, but, but, but I don't want to go to hell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, but just enough to where I don't go to hell. I, I don't know that I really trust God anymore either, but I'm going to go to church. See, I trusted him at one time, we might say, but things didn't turn out the way that we thought. And I have nothing to show for me personally, my Christian journey. Show me what I have to show for this journey that I'm on. Just leave me alone. Have you ever said that? In my bitterness. So these are the types of people who kind of feel like, listen carefully. These are the types of people in this position who at this point kind of feel like, the best years are behind you. Your best opportunities are behind you. Do you ever feel like that? I'm just going to try to make things work from this point forward. The things that have, God has called me to, those best things, they're behind me. See, these best opportunities in life of, of hope and optimism, they've just kind of run dry. They've taken their course, and now I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have. See, it's these types of people that they, they, they don't see a valid reason to follow somebody in the faith. You don't see somebody for someone else to follow you because you're just trying to live and make it work and not really pursue God with all of your heart. You know, don't, don't look at me as an example. I'm going to go to church, but don't really put too much stock in me and my walk with God. When Paul says, watch me, this is how it's done in the confidence of Christ. She's at a different place than that. By this point, all Naomi had left was Ruth. She could not really see a reason why Ruth should be following her anymore because of the place that she was in. So Naomi kind of turned to her earlier in Ruth 1, 12 and 13 and says this to Ruth, there's nothing left from my life that will be of any, adva that will be of any advantage to you. Talk about no accountability. Talk about don't, don't look at me, don't follow my example because it's probably not going to be good at times. Because I'm just kind of settling at this point. So she says this to Ruth, but just, why don't you just stay where you are? Don't follow me. See, Ruth was this young woman who had some grit, who had some bounce back, who had some resiliency, who said, who, who wouldn't quit. She refused to let go. 
It was kind of like there was something in the heart of Ruth that, that instinctively knew that God had not failed. Can you imagine the death of your lineage? It's out, that's out of the question. There's a lot going wrong here. See, there was more than all of this that they could fully understand. How many times do you fully understand God? I would say never. I never fully understand God or what He is doing, why He is doing something. And that's an okay place to be, New Hope. It's a good place to be. Because when you are weak, He is strong. So the scripture kind of tells us at this point that these two women, because Ruth said, I'm not letting go. So these two women come back to Bethlehem at the beginning of this harvest. You read this in Ruth. You see this in the word. So they're entering into the work of the harvest. So Ruth began to, to pick up what the, the, the reapers in the fields had left behind. This is kind of a, there's so much symbolism here. This is kind of a picture of Ruth picking up what had been neglected, what had been unnoticed or maybe considered insignificant do you ever feel neglected do you ever feel insignificant do you ever feel marginalized do you ever feel feel undervalued or overlooked come on so Ruth starts picking up the scraps of what was considered insignificant she continued to labor in the field she continued to do the work of the Lord and what she was called to do maybe feeling small maybe feeling forgotten herself laboring with sorrow have you ever labored with sorrow have you ever gone to work and just kind of put the time in and you are you are sad and you're not quite sure that this is exactly what God has called you to but you're doing it but you're doing it maybe like Ruth with sorrow in your heart maybe with deep questions in your heart but you continue to do it But suddenly the scripture says that the eye of the kinsman redeemer fell on her. See, God's not done. So it kind of seemed like God was kind of saying now to, to Naomi and Ruth, I, I've not forsaken you. Get up. Stand up and be counted. I've not left you. That's in my word. In fact, not, have I not only not left you, I've reserved you. I've reserved you for certain moments, for certain things. I haven't forsaken you. On the contrary, I've reserved you for this moment. Oh, help us. Help us to understand this special purpose for you and I in the kingdom of God. He's reserved us. He's saying you're not alone. You think you are, but you're not. You're not alone. You, you think you have failed, but you haven't. Get up. I've reserved you for a certain moment. And he's saying to you, I, I've heard your cry long ago. I heard it in the fields. I heard it when you were in this place, in that place. Places you were, places you thought you shouldn't have been. Places where you thought had no purpose. I've heard you. And see, God has a certain intention. We don't know God's intentions most of the time. Hardly ever, maybe never. He intends to do something great through you and I. 
but it's going to be at a place where you're weak and he's strong. So your weakness can, can be noticed. Your weakness can be recognized by yourself. Wow, I'm weak. And it's a good place because then God's strength can be made known in your life. He finally will have you where he wants you. Weak. You can't do anything without him. And he's wanting you to say whatever he's going to do through you and in you and entrust to you that can only be done by his hand, by his work, by him alone, lest any man should boast. So it's like in 2 Corinthians 12, 10 that says when Paul said, for when I'm weak, when I'm weak, then and only then am I strong. So it's not in my strength that the kingdom of God advances. It can't be in my strength. It's in my weakness. That's when God's finally allowed to be God in me. When I let him, man, free will is a powerful thing. When I have nothing left but him, when all my strength and all of my resources, my intellect, my wells are dry. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. When I have nothing left but him and all my strength, all my natural hopes are dead. That's a great position. And when I return with nothing else to do but gather like Ruth was doing in a field, picking up the scraps, gathering that which had been neglected, forgotten, insignificant, deemed as such. And you start gathering what everyone else has deemed worthless and useless. Suddenly we realize in that moment that God's power is made perfect in my weakness. It is made perfect. It is perfected in my weakness. So I'm realizing that now because I have this moment with the Lord, then and only then can he put compassion in my heart. So he puts compassion in me for the weary, for the weak, for the widowed, like the Bible says, for the orphan. Be mindful of these. He puts compassion in my heart for the poor, for the hungry, for those that are in prison jail ministry, for the destitute, for those in despair, the opposite of hope. So eventually through this marriage that the kin to the kinsman redeemer, a child was born to Ruth. Watch this. Don't miss this. Everybody go to Ruth chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. Listen to this. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. And Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom and nurtured it. And the woman her neighbors gave it a name saying, this is the son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. Listen. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is a pretty important lineage that we thought was dead. 
God is in the business of restoration. He's in the business of bringing lineages back to life to fulfill the promises that he has made. He can't go back on his word. What promise has he placed in your hands today? What promise has he placed in your heart today? That maybe you're not believing. Maybe you're holding it bitterly, treacherously. This child is a child of the miraculous. It was provided like the person who fought, found Ruth in the field, this kinsman redeemer. It was laid in the arms of Naomi. This child was given to her, listen, in Bethlehem. It brought her and her house back to life, bringing new hope for the future. What you think is dead and gone isn't. Your calling, the best years are behind you. They are in front of you. If you embrace this this morning, it's like the scripture that we just read a little while ago. Women receive their dead raised back to life. Listen, moms, they're dead children spiritually. Your wayward son, your prodigal daughters, it brings children. That's what he does. He brings children back to life. He brings families back to life. He brings hopes back to life. He revives and resuscitates your dead plans. He gives CPR to dead dreams. Do you realize who you're meeting with this morning? Your dead spirituality. He resurrects it. That's what he does. So you kind of watch this chain reaction that was birthed from this moment. You see, within this child, Naomi, that she held in her arms, we see this seed that starts to travel through the generations. Every promise that God had made prior to that to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, who was called Israel, and his son Joseph, and Manasseh, and Ephraim, and it starts to travel and travel and travel. You can't stop God. My goodness, listen to this. Through that child, a son named Jesse would be born. This son, Jesse, would have several sons. Do you remember Jesse had eight sons? The youngest was David, who they said, nah, it can't be him, this ruddy, ruddy dude in the field, dirty. Anoint him while he's dirty, Samuel says. Hallelujah. Anoint him while he's dirty. Bring him in. I'm going to anoint this king. He's going to be the greatest king Israel has ever seen, other than Jesus Christ himself. I wish I could get up. Listen to me very carefully. This starts to travel. It would, he would become the greatest king that Israel would ever know. It goes all the way down to the lineage of David. This seed of promise, it would continue to travel until Jesus himself was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Going back to the simplicity, to salvation in a manger, in this humble position. He would live, listen to this, we don't, you don't know, how could she have known is the title of this morning's message. How could she have known what was in her arms? How could Naomi have known? You thought Mary, didn't you? How could she have known? How could Naomi have known that the resurrection and the life through the lineage was going to be completely restored? How could she have known that? How do you know? How do you know what God has given you? How do you know the implications? I, I have to yell. I'm sorry. 
I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Listen, how do you know what God has placed in your hands? You don't know. How could she have known this? Listen to this. This seed that travels, Jesus would be born. He would live for 33 years on the earth. He would go to a cross and he would offer up his life for you. He would be raised from the dead. He would then say, it's better for me to go away, but I'm going to send you another, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of God. And he's not just going to walk with you. He's going to be in you. How could you have known? How could you have known this? And he says, I'm going to send my spirit. There'll be cloven tongues of fire. They'll be speaking in languages you can't understand, but God will give the interpretation. They're going to go into the marketplace. They're going to do signs and wonders. They're going to be resurrecting people. How would you have known this? The spirit of God. You're going to do greater things than I did. Do you believe that? Oh my gosh. And listen to this. It's the whole church of Jesus Christ. Imagine all of that was laid in Naomi's arms, Obed, the father of Jesse, the father of David, eventually down to Jesus Christ. This is amazing. How do you know what God has placed in your arms? How can you see into the future who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect them? Naomi was holding in her arms the entire church of Jesus Christ. You were in her arms. Your salvation experience was in her arms. This lineage was brought back to life. But church, you have to open your arms. You have to open your arms. This, this listen to this, this, this baby was given to a bitter woman. She was bitter in weakness. How do you think God wants to bless you when you're high and mighty and powerful and in your greatest moment and peaks of life? It's in weakness. It's in bitterness. She had lost all natural hope. She didn't see herself as a contender or a great player in the kingdom of God. And that's when God did it. My goodness. She came home in weakness. She had questions about the past. She had no hope for the future. That's when God did it. So God says to us today, in your weakness, what about your weakness? Open your arms, he's saying. How could she have known? So in your weakness, you might be stunned this morning as to what God might put in your arms. You have to open your arms. The Lord kind of reminds us through Naomi that he does not despise your weakness, our struggles, our questions, our bitterness, even towards him. But we must be willing to open our arms to what God wants to give us. See, Naomi had to open her arms to this child. She could have just said, Ruth, no, 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 you keep it. It's just a baby. She opened her arms. We have to open our arms to the call of God, to the promises of God, to the provision of God of what he wants to do through you. There had to have been something in her heart that maybe just said, man, this is more than I ever could have hoped for in my own strength. See, we see things and how they play out in the future. Does God not say my ways are higher than yours? Hallelujah. 
But he also says, my ways aren't your ways. And he does things that we maybe couldn't even imagine. You might feel small today. You might feel marginalized today. You might feel forgotten today, insignificant or even empty. Maybe you think the best years of your life, like I had previously mentioned, was 10 years back. I feel that way at times. These circumstances in your life, they've kind of left you with deep disappointment. Maybe questions about God. If you will just open your arms this morning, I think maybe God will give you new hope this morning. I think he could resurrect and revive some hope inside of you, whatever that may look like for you, because he is a personal savior. You have to remember that God is able to raise the dead. He's able to restore hope and vision and joy. And faith that's been lost, it's been eclipsed. If you will open your arms to what God has for you, you will find a new understanding of what a miracle actually is. When we are strong, pride and and, and human effort often get kind of entangled and mingled with all of it. And we ultimately... We make a mess of things, do we not? But in our weakness, it's all about God. It is all about God. His power, His Spirit, His plans. It's all about Him. See, there's not a million steps to this. There's really just one step. Just open your arms and let God place what He wants into your arms so he can move through you for others. It's not complicated. And I guess I would spiritually believe that and and hope and pray that maybe one more awakening is coming to this country. Do you believe that? That maybe one more awakening is going to happen in our country. People and we will wake up and realize that we must go, listen, back to God. Not those who were never with God in the first place, but those who maybe have had an experience and need to come back to God. There's going to be a lot of people come back. What's your attitude towards those people going to be like? Things are going to happen in this earth. People are going to come back to the faith because of seeds that have been planted throughout the decades. They will come back. We're not going to be coming back in in strength. It'll be with struggles, with trials, with difficulties, with confusion. But we're coming back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, the Bible says. There's bread. It means there's provision. There's strength. It's always been there. Along with the miraculous power of God, it's always been there. We have to open our arms. We have to come back to it. We can return in this, the same fashion or manner that Naomi did in the scripture saying, all I have left is one child, maybe who, who I dragged to church every Sunday in weakness. All I have left is one child who I dragged to church every Sunday. Is this all my life has amounted to? I haven't seen my daughter for a long time. I haven't seen my son. My son lives states away. I haven't seen him. Maybe you say that today. Man, we haven't spoken for a long time. But I'm coming back in weakness. Can we say that the eye of the kinsman redeemer has fallen on you today? He sees you in your struggle, in your weakness. He sees you. 
And there is a person whose hands I can put the promise of my son, Jesus says, about you. There's a person. They're coming back in weak, weakness and humility and, and at the, just the bottom of the barrel of life. But they're coming back. That's a person that I can put my promise into their hands because now you won't hold it lightly, maybe. Maybe you'll cling to it and cherish the ministry that he entrusts to you. Stop trying to figure out what your ministry is. It cripples you. If it has to be just perfect, well, I'm not called to that. I'm above that. I don't know if I'm good enough for that. Start doing something. Start having the promise of God flow through you, your life, your hands, your mouth that Isaiah says, Jesus says, I will put my words in your mouth. You have to do something. And then we will start cherishing this gift of God. You will cherish this ministry. See, Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom. She held this baby close. Hopefully we can hold the promise of God closely to our hearts and not hold it lightly. So if the Lord can find people this morning as he kind of combs the congregation, hopefully he can find people who will walk in a humble manner before him. I know that he will show himself to be God in you. I know that he'll do it, especially in the time that we live in where we are so desperate for a walking demonstration, a billboard, so to speak, like Pastor always referred to in this generation. He's willing that you receive your dead raised to life again. The question is, are you willing to let go this morning and open your arms? Because in order to open your arms, you have to let go of doubt. You have to let go of pain and unbelief and sorrow. You have to let go of it in order to open your arms. Are you willing to embrace by faith what the Lord desires to give you? Are you willing to say, I'm coming to you, Lord, this morning in weakness, in my weakness? So God, as you put something into my arms that is deeper than I've ever known before, that is, that is richer than I've ever known before, that is, that is fuller than I've ever known before, I'm asking you to put something in my arms, Lord, this morning that I could ever have planned in my own strength. Richer, deeper, fuller. Go deeper. What is it? Give me something that, that cannot be obtained in my own strength, in my own reasoning, in my own intellect, apart from simple faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. So I hope that, that this, this spirit of, of miracles, of the miraculous, starts to kind of rise up inside of you. How could she have known? How could you possibly know what God wants to do? You think you can outsmart, outthink, outdream God? He wants to do something in your life, internally and externally. He wants to show you off. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. And one of, the, one of the explanations of that scripture is demonstration. He wants to make you a demonstration of the fruits of the Spirit. Gentleness, kindness, meekness, self-control. So I know that if you choose, if we choose to open our arms this morning to what God has for us,
even if and especially because we don't understand all of it. We'll start to see this, this miracle that God will do in our weakness. Is what he did by laying this baby, Obed, in the arms of Naomi and reviving and bringing back to life the entire lineage that ultimately was the lineage of Jesus Christ who saved the world. How can you know? I'm going to ask the band to come up, please. I want to show you something. And I'm asking God for some strength. Hopefully I can sit back down here. As a band member comes up, I'm going to ask that you kind of wheel this pulpit out of the way. I want to show you something that I, I think 14 or 15 years ago I heard this. And I thought, man, this is one of the coolest things. It's going to be online, too. Sometimes it's not always perfect, YouTube. Welcome to you as well. So I want to show you a picture of what the cross is, because this is what the cross is all about. I want to show you a a picture of one of the first illustrations of the cross in the Bible, and it comes from Genesis 48. So I want to ask as I start to read, you guys can kind of get ready. You're going to come up these stairs, and just as we talked about, we're going to bring them over here. But first, listen to this. Genesis 48, starting with verse 8, says this. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here. Joseph said to his father, then Israel said, Bring them to me. Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now listen to this. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age. And he could hardly see. So in this illustration, I am Jacob. My name is turned to Israel. If you remember that, when God changed Jacob's name after the wrestling match to Israel. It says this. He could hardly see. He was of old age. So Joseph brought his sons. This is Joseph. And he brought his sons close to him. And his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, Israel said to his son, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too, my grandsons. So listen to this. As I talk you through this, I want to show you the cross. Joseph took both of them. Ephraim on his right towards, it says Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left. So, let's switch these signs, I think. It's, it'll be beautiful how it'll make sense. Once again, sorry, YouTube. It's all good. I want you to see this. This is a picture of the cross. So it says, and Joseph took both of them, so you can see, Ephraim on his right, and this is Israel's left. I'm Israel, this is my left. And Manasseh on his left, his left, toward Israel's right hand. And he brought them close to him. 
So you're going to come over here, and you're going to come right here so the crowd can see who is who. Can you guys see the names? Is that good? Right there. That's good. Right there. So check this out. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand. Brought them close to him, but Israel reached out. Watch this. Israel reached out his right hand. Now remember, the right side and the right hand indicates the bigger promise and bigger blessing, right? This is my right. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger, he reaches out his right hand and puts it here. He reaches out his left hand and puts it on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. So it's, he does this. Watch my arms. There's the cross. This is a picture of one of the first crosses in the Bible. Do you understand this? He reaches out his right hand. The bigger blessing. The bigger promise. God's going to do greater things here. And he, he prays for them like this. Now I want to show you this. It says, then he blessed Joseph. I'm sorry, he said, he put it on left hand, Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham, Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took a hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him no no my father you you can't see very well you're old maybe you're confused no my father this one's the firstborn put your right hand on his head but his father refused and said I, I know my son I know he he too will become a great people and he too will become great nevertheless his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations So listen to me carefully. You can start dimming the lights. The cross is all through the Bible. In Genesis 48, the first book of the Bible, he gives an illustration of what the cross, listen, is all about. In other words, God knows what he's doing, amen? See, he's king of the underdog, isn't he? That's what he does. He's king of the marginalized. He's king of the weak. He's king of the unexpected. He's king of the humble. Listen, this is the cross. He's king of the undeserved. We deserve nothing. And he says, hold, hold on though. But I'm going to give my biggest blessing to the undeserved. Rightfully, but the undeserved. I know what I'm doing. I'm giving you a picture of things to come. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Weak things of the world to shame the strong, the Bible says. How can you possibly know? How could she have known what was in 
her arms. This is a picture of what the cross is all about. Grace, getting that which we do not deserve. Getting a blessing, getting a promise of a future that we do not deserve. So the altar call this morning as they begin to play is open your arms. Because how could we possibly know what God wants to do through us?